0: ShadowPublications.com presents Lamash 2, a story from the Creatures Collection. Written and performed by Paul E. Cooley, with music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast contains adult language, situations, and violence. Listener discretion is advised. Today is Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, which means it's Lamash 2, something or other. Hello, fiendlings. How the hell are you? Okay, so here we are in the final episode of Lamashtu. I hope it's been a fun little trip down memory lane, and perhaps a good indication of how much my voice and style of both writing and narration have changed over the years. For me, it's a trip down amnesia lane, since I barely remember writing this tale at all. Oh well. In case you missed it, the Derelict Saga has begun its run on YouTube. For roughly 96 days, I'll be releasing a daily episode. So if you ever wondered how many continuity errors there might be in a binge listen, here's your chance. Also, I only do the intro babble once every seven episodes, so it's pretty bingeable. Same house, with nowhere to escape. Apart from providing a few precious minutes of escape for you every week, I have no idea how to help so many people out there who need help, especially when I too am facing potential financial doom, and am concerned like hell for my parents and extended family that are mostly in their late 70s, if not early 80s. Anxiety, depression, fear, all of these things can pile up on you pretty easily. Remember, though, it's not just you. We all face similar issues, so talk about them with one another. Admit them. You'll feel better. I promise. And if you don't, there's always liquor. Just kidding. Hey, did you expect mindless optimism from a guy whose tagline used to be We don't believe in happy endings? Yeah, thought not. I don't know what I'm going to podcast next. I have to dig through the hard drives and see what else might lurk in the dusty bins and bytes of yesteryear. Or perhaps it'll be something that was a Patreon exclusive? Or maybe something newer? Hmm. Stay tuned for that. Regardless, I'm going to get out of here and get back to churning out code and worlds. Be safe, have a great week, and we'll talk again real soon. Here's episode three, the finale of Two. The black blanket which once wrapped the mummy lay on the ground. It was covered in a dark, dried ooze and free of sand. The sigils were scattered around the ground, and the caps had been shattered. John's cough was a rattle in his chest. Lamashtu, the diseased one. He shook his head. No, that's crazy, he mumbled to himself. Linton? There was no response from the man's tent. John turned and walked carefully to it. He fought to keep his balance and managed to keep from falling down twice. The third time, his foot hit one of the tent pegs and sent him sprawling to the hard dirt pack. He spit sand and blood. A rattling groan escaped his lips. He turned over and stared up into the sky. Birds soared on the wind. A mixed flock of condors and albatrosses swirled and twirled around the campsite. John's ear caught the sound of their calls. It was nearly a voice. The sun's light seemed to pound into him, but he felt a little better. He rolled to his side and managed to push himself up. On one knee, he stared into the blue sky and watched the birds. The Corral Guardians, he thought. Linton! Another cough shook his body and tears of pain flowed from his eyes. He crawled to the tent's entrance and unzipped it. He stared in and blinked. The man was gone. The mummy's body was at the side of the tent, but there wasn't much left of it. The dry, desiccated flesh had turned into a puddle of liquid, leaving old bones behind. John wiped blood from his mouth. Linton's clothes were ripped, torn, and spread atop the sleeping bag. Strips of flesh had peeled off and adhered to the fabric. John shuffled back from the bedrolls and returned to the sunlight. He walked back to the equipment crate that lay beneath the tarp. The steel box was open. Its contents were smashed. The laptop had been torn in two pieces. Bloody fingerprints stained the plastic and rubber. The sat phone lay at the bottom. The antenna had been broken off the handset and the plastic housing was destroyed. John blinked at it and fell to his knees. There was no way to call for an evac. The expedition wasn't due to check in for another two days. John idly scratched at his arm. He wouldn't last two days. His only hope was to make it to the next camp, but that was kilometers away across the valley. He stumbled back to his tent and emptied his backpack except for the emergency tools and filled it with first aid supplies. It was going to be a long walk, and he wasn't sure he'd make it. The equipment crate still held two things he needed a canteen, and a machete. He filled the canteen with bottled water and then stuffed the pack with more. He held the pack up by its straps and felt its weight. It was heavy, but he thought he'd be able to carry it. With the machete in his hands, he walked past the tents and into the desert. Far across the desert floor, he saw a dot. It was the temple where he'd found the map leading to the mummy's burial site. He started to leave the tarp and headed to the desert when his foot kicked something. He stared down. The wooden bird sigils littered the ground near the table. He wiped blood from his nose and then began packing the wooden carvings. He managed to stuff all 33 inside. When he picked up the pack again, he groaned beneath the added weight. John shrugged into the shoulder straps, took one last look at the wrecked equipment, and headed out into the desert. The third time he fell down, he wasn't sure he could get back up. The navy blue sky was incredibly bright. John lay on his back and splashed his face with water from the canteen. He coughed, and a spray of blood erupted from his mouth. When he'd set out from the dig site, he'd made a beeline for the distant temple. An hour later, he felt like he was no closer. The dot would get larger and then seem to shrink. He knew it was an optical illusion, but that didn't help much. Even in the cool, high desert, the sunlight was hot and uncomfortable. Or John had thought as he stripped off his shirt, it was the fever. The sickness was creeping through his chest, making it hard to breathe. As he traveled farther and farther from the dig site, each step had become a fight to stay upright. After a kilometer or so, the hard-packed dirt gave way to soft sand. John had stopped when he'd seen the marks. They were human footprints. Linton had either stripped off his boots in the tent or left them somewhere far behind and John missed them. The footprints were spattered with red and black ooze. He followed the prints for some time. They were definitely headed toward the temple. After what seemed like forever, he'd given up trying to follow them and instead focused on the distant structure. John closed his eyes against the bright blue sky and rested. His chest rattled with each breath. The shock of what he'd seen at the dig site was finally settling in. Steph and the diggers were dead. The mummy had infected them all, and now it was inside Linton. It was heading for the temple, and he had no idea why. The squawk of a bird interrupted his doze. He flicked open his eyes. An Andean condor stood a few feet away. The bird's beak clicked together as it spread its long black and white wings. Its red comb seemed to glow in the light. The male bird folded its wings and stepped toward him. John tried to raise his arms to ward off the creature, but he was simply too tired to fight it. If the bird attacked him, he wasn't sure he could do anything about it. The condor hopped onto his chest and knocked the wind out of him. Its sharp talons stung against his bare chest and he hissed through his teeth. The bird squawked again. Make, make it fast, he gasped. The condor scratched at his chest and a shot of blinding white pain racked him. He tried to scream, but only a whisper of air escaped his mouth. He looked back down as the condor scratched into his flesh. Black and red liquid oozed from the rents in his skin. He managed a deep intake of breath, and then the condor's beak dipped into the deep gashes. This time, the scream belted out of his throat and shredded his vocal cords. He shook as waves of fiery pain engulfed him. The condor lifted its head and stared at him with a single eye. Blood ran from its beak, and its comb had turned black. It wavered on its talons, stepped off his chest, and onto the desert floor. The creature vomited a stream of black ooze and then fell on its side. Its wings spread one last time, and then it lay still. An icy sensation crept through his veins. The fever disappeared. The incredible pressure that had built up in his chest subsided. John took a deep breath and felt little pain. A gurgling sound caught his attention, and he swung his gaze back to the motionless condor. Its body was dissolving into the sand. As he watched, its flesh dripped off in a black and red sludge. He sat up and rubbed a hand across his chest. The rents and slashes were dry, the skin puffy and white. The desert erupted in bird squawks and keening, piercing cries. He looked up and toward the temple. A mix of condors and albatross stood on the desert floor, their heads all turned to the side. Their collective gaze skated over his body, and their heads bobbed as one. He tried to stand and managed to find his feet. The burning fever had abated, leaving him feeling cool and calm. The pain from the bird's ministrations was a memory. He rubbed sand off his bare chest and stared at the mixed avian flock. The birds turned from him and stared off into the distance. John looked out into the desert. The temple was closer than he thought. Through the heat shimmer, he could make out its rough, triangular shape. He bent to pick up the pack and stopped. The bird carcass was nothing but bones. Its yellow beak had fallen off the skeleton. It seemed to glow in the harsh sunlight. He didn't know why he did it, but he reached down and grasped it between his fingers. The beak felt warm and slick. He slipped it into the pocket of his jeans, strapped the pack to his back, and stared at the temple. The flock turned to him and spread apart. With tentative steps, he began walking again. The birds on either side of him bobbed their heads as he passed. John found his pace and continued putting one foot in front of the other. The flock took flight behind him, and the desert echoed with their sharp, keening cries. He wiped cool sweat from his bow and loped toward the temple. A flush of energy started in his chest and slowly spread across his body. His steps turned into a run, the backpack slapping against him in time. The temple was up ahead. So was Linton. John pulled the machete from his belt the rustle of bird wings at his back. The temple's yawning mouth beckoned him. It had taken diggers weeks to remove millennia of dirt, rock, and rubble to expose the entrance. With the cool, dry climate, the sandstone structure was well preserved. A condor carving leered at him from atop the temple's facade. John shivered as its eyes glittered in the sun. Black and red ooze-covered footprints ended in front of the temple. John pulled a lamp from the backpack, switched it on, and walked into the darkness. The bluish light illuminated the familiar smooth walls. The supe corral had carved pictograms of their many gods in the stone. Not so long ago, he couldn't walk through the temple without stopping every few steps to stare and study their leavings. Now, he was looking for footprints and handprints and they were easy to find. The creature that had killed his friends was somewhere ahead. Instead of the smell of old dirt and ancient stone, an abattoir stench filtered into his nostrils. John fought his gag reflex and entered the main chamber. He stopped in his tracks, the lamp jittering in his shaking hand. Linton stood in the middle of the ancient temple. His skin was blackened as if burned to a crisp. His mouth oozed something foul and slithery. The thing raised its head and glared at him. Its eyes burned with a sickly yellow light. The energy from the condor's ministrations evaporated under its gaze. He swayed with sudden fatigue and the lamp dropped from his limp fingers. He fell to one knee, the machete's blade clanking against the stone floor. It started to chant something in a mix of liquid sibilance and guttural glottals. John's vision fluttered and the world swam before him. His pocket began to burn. Without thinking, he dragged the condor's beak out of his jeans. His nerves and skin sizzled beneath its heat. As the beak cleared the denim, the temple lit with an eldritch light. The creature howled. It raised a gnarled, flesh-dripping finger at him. John felt moisture running down his face. He swiped at his cheek and a long strip of rotted flesh fell to the temple floor. He staggered forward, the beak held before him, machete raised. The Linton thing stumbled backwards. John coughed blood but kept his feet. He gritted his teeth and forced himself into a run. The creature tried to move away from him, but he was too fast. He brought the machete down in a short arc. The blade sliced through the thing's shoulder with a liquid crunch. Black liquid spattered his clothes. The creature loosed a deafening howl. He raised the machete to hit it again, and it raised its other arm to block. The steel skated off the creature's forearm, and the flat of the blade smacked into its hand with a sharp crack. Spoiled bone poked through ruined flesh. The creature took a deep breath and then exhaled a cloud of fetid black air. John's eyes burned and his chest seized. He fell to his knees, the beak dropping from his hand. The creature howled again and crushed the beak beneath its rotting bare feet. The chamber echoed with the crunch. Its light disappeared, casting the room in dark shadows. The only illumination left was from the discarded lamp near the hallway. The Linton thing glared down at him, its mouth opening in a too-wide grin. Several of its teeth had fallen from its rotting gums. A black ooze of saliva dripped from its upper lip. The thing raised its foot and John rolled just in time as it smashed into the stone floor where his head had been. He pushed himself up and managed to stand. Something hit him in the kidneys and he stumbled forward. John turned himself in a clumsy circle, the machete hissing through empty air. The creature was a few steps back, its head shaking as though with laughter. He wiped blood from his mouth and nose with the back of his hand. The world seemed to waver before him. The creature was stumbling toward him, its skeletal hand held before it. The thing lunged. He turned at the last second and its fingers caught one of the pack's straps. He struggled to get out of the hand's reach. The pack slipped from one arm. John knelt as the hand swiped for his head. The sharp bony fingers cut a rent in his scalp. He tried to roll, but the pack threw off his balance. John fell in a heap. The pack split as it hit the stone floor. Bottles of water and wooden carvings spilled out. The creature keened as it stared down at the avian sigils. John grabbed one of the wooden carvings and threw it. The sigil clipped the creature's armless shoulder. The chamber shook with its scream. As he watched, the skin where it had struck peeled and then petrified. The thing scratched at the wound. John pushed himself up on one knee, his hands scrabbling in the pack. He grabbed handfuls of the sickles and flung them toward the creature. The wooden carvings flew at their target like a flock, peppering its skin. Where each hit, it melted into the thing's flesh. It screamed in pain and turned toward the temple wall. Creaking like overstressed wood, it ran toward the hallway. John picked up the pack and stumbled after it. Bits of flesh had fallen off the thing and lay strewn across the stone floor. The peels of skin smoked. He wound his way down the hall through the turns and into the bright punishing sunlight. The creature limped into the desert. John knelt as his stomach cramped and then he vomited blood upon the hard-packed dirt. The creature howled. John raised himself and walked after the thing. He stared into the bag. A few sigils covered its bottom. He filled his fists with them, dropped the bag, and staggered. His legs shuddered, muscles threatening to freeze. The creature was only a few meters away. He forced himself forward with a shout of effort. The creature's back was in reach. With the last of his strength, he flung himself onto it and pressed his handful of sigils into its remaining shoulder. The creature shrieked to the distant hills and fell to its knees. Its head turned around, the neck bones breaking and cracking. Its open mouth oozed a thick, viscous fluid. It fell backwards and slammed into the ground next to him. Its remaining hand slashed across John's leg. The bright pain cleared the fog from his head and he rolled out of reach. The thing's hand dug into the sand as it pulled itself toward him. He kicked hard with his left leg and connected with its skull. The head ripped off its spinal column and bounced onto the sand. The hand clutched at him once, twice, and then lay still. John's head hit the dirt as he fell backwards. Every nerve in his body screamed. He knew he was bleeding from his mouth and nose, but he was too tired to wipe at it. The world seemed to bend on its side and then righted. Dots of black swirled in the sky. They grew in size. Then his ears caught the sound of their cries. A flock of condors and albatross rapidly descended from the sky. He raised his head. The creature had shrunk to something small and insubstantial. Its skin looked desiccated. The wooden carvings that had melted into its flesh lay beside it as though they popped back out. The birds landed around the creature. As one, they bent their heads and their beaks slashed into its body. The petrified bundle disintegrated beneath their stamping talons and bites. The flock would eat and then vomit their meal to the side before continuing. One by one, the birds fell to the desert and did not move again. When the last bird died, the bundle was nothing more than a few cracked bones. John lay his head down on the hard dirt. He coughed again, and another spray of blood flew across the sand. Corral, he thought. They all died to protect us. From it. From Lamashtu. He closed his eyes. When he opened them again, the sun had disappeared and the world was dark. From somewhere far away, he heard the shrieks of condors and albatross. His breathing slowed, chest heaving with the effort to suck oxygen into his lungs. When his chest finally seized, his body shuddered and then lay still. His eyes were wide and staring into the sky, a look of wonder on his face. Limash 2 is copyright 2014 by Paul E. Cooley and is protected under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non Commercial, No Derivatives License. Music by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at Encompetech.com. This has been a presentation of ShadowPublications.com, where we don't believe in happy endings.